0: Hello everyone, it's Nick and Kylie here from MSF. We're here in Lamaroo with Hamish Dixon and Emily King from AWI, two-thirds of the way through our AWI-funded trip through the Mallee. How are you finding it,
1: guys? It's been brilliant. It's been a great um, a series of workshops so far. We've got another one yet to go and it's been great attendance and good interaction and good questions and a great opportunity to start extending... Uh, some of the results out of an AWI-supported project that that MSF have been running over the last few years.
2: Yeah, it's been great, really nice to get down here and see the country and meet a few people uh, down across the valley. So uh, it's not an area that I get to a lot, so I've really enjoyed having a good look around.
0: So a lot of the project is about feed testing and then putting the feed testing results into practice. Are you finding guys are used to feed testing and formulating rations, Hamish?
1: I think we're seeing more and more people are becoming familiar with feed testing, particularly through hay test results. I think a lot of that is is now driving some familiarity with it. Lots of people have used feed tests probably sporadically for looking at supplementary feeding in dry times. They might have done some pasture tests over the years, but certainly yet yeah, through this project there's been a big amount of feed testing that's been undertaken, and the important part is how we utilise that information now in terms of making decisions about different feeding options and importantly how do we work through what the cost benefit of those different options might be too.
0: Something I'm always looking for Hamish is rules of thumb for ewe rations and lamb rations. I loved the way you broke it down into the energy, the protein and the amount the animals can eat. Can you just run over those rules of thumb again?
1: (laughs) Sure. I think one of the really um, useful things to keep in mind when we're looking at nutrition is how we consider the different components. We talk about nutrition as a whole, but effectively what we're most interested in is looking at what is the energy value of different feeds? How does that meet the requirements of the animal? How does the levels of protein affect things like growth rate in lambs? And the different parts of nutrition affect how the animal will effectively grow and how they'll develop. If we look at, say, something like energy in particular, that's our big driver for condition, for fat cover. Whereas protein is a big driver of things like milk production and muscle development, uh, wool growth, even sperm production in rams. So it's important to consider, well, what type of or what component of nutrition are we really interested in at the time? What is the level of energy and protein in different feeds? And what's the requirement of the animal? Those will change with different stages of growth or different classes of animal. And then we can match really what type of supplementary feed is going to best meet Potentially any deficit, or likewise, if there's excesses of energy, then we utilise that to allow times for when we can put condition back on stock, potentially after weaning, those sorts of scenarios coming through. We've had a lot of questions
0: about minerals as well, how they vary from year to year and from feed to feed. I guess we really saw the value of feed testing, didn't we?
1: Yeah, but a big part of it is to actually go through and understand what is the variation between different species from a feed value perspective, from a mineral content perspective, and how does that change over seasons? How does that change year to year? Um, And that's been a big part of a big drive of why this project was initiated and really the results that we're getting out of the other side of it now. So certainly from a mineral perspective, it's been really useful in terms of profiling a whole range of different pasture species across the Mallee and understanding what is the quality like for things like calcium, phosphorus, selenium, cobalt, whole big spread of minerals and it can help us to understand what supplements are worthwhile and which ones potentially aren't as much worthwhile. So we can really look at those types of cost benefits really efficiently in the enterprise too.
2: Do you think Hamish this roadshow that we're on here is really honing in what the farmers should look into when they're grazing their pastures and what supplementation they require to meet their energy and protein requirements.
1: I think it is. I think one of the important discussions and one of the really great conversations that are coming out of these workshops is around how do we marry up the investment that we might be spending in terms of improving feeding in one area with what's the outcomes that we're going to achieve. And for all farming enterprises, whether we are mixed farming enterprise, livestock-only crop, We have to understand where is the area of focus that we want to improve the business over the next two, three, five years' time. So I think one of the really interesting conversations that's been coming out is if we have a focus on potentially improving lambing rate in the enterprise over the next few years, maybe producers have got a target of I want to improve my lambing rate by 10%, then that drives the decisions around, okay, how do I achieve that? Some of that may be through lambing management and some of it may be through nutrition and then the decisions come out about what type of year, what type of supplements might actually achieve those sorts of improvements and how do we link that through the business management side too.
2: You could say, Hamish, you've had a lot of questions about supplementation along the way so far, haven't we?
1: That's a big part of really what the project was aiming to do in terms of building a baseline understanding of what is the feed quality of a whole range of usher and plant species across the valley but the big outcome was about how do we utilise that information in practice? How do we put that into a decision-making process to understand how they meet animal requirements? And if they don't, then what would actually a strategy look like to meet that deficit that is potentially there?
0: Emily King has also had a time slot in our roadshow where she talks about what AWI is up to. Can you give us a synopsis, Emily? And uh, what curly questions have you had so far?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... I've just been talking about a few key projects based on the questions that have been coming up, but I suppose a few key areas of investment for us at the moment are, of course, the Merino Lifetime Productivity Project. And it's a really interesting, very long-term genetics and data collection project on over 5,000 ewes at five sites across Australia, which are all in different locations to really mimic the key production regions of Australia, key wool-growing regions of Australia, and collect a lot of data on lifetime productivity and really try to understand if the early age measurements that we're collecting and the decisions we're making on animals at early ages are truly representative of their lifetime benefit to you as a grower and in selecting those animals. Uh, So that's a really exciting project and there's lots of information available on that on the AWI website and of course through the Australian Merino Sire Evaluation Association website as well. Also of course We've been hearing for a number of years that shearing has been quite difficult. A lot of people are having difficulty in accessing shearers. So that's a key focus for AWI at the moment. And there's a lot of work going into maintaining a lot of the shearing training, shearing wool handler training that we've been doing, but enhancing that and really trying to spread our reach there and get more young people into the industry but also to continue to work with and retain the good people that we have in the industry as well. Uh, large focus on that, some shearing technology and trying to make shearing an easier and more pleasurable job for people so that they we can retain them in the industry for longer. Also some key investments in the repro space, of course, such as the supplementary feed at Lambing, looking into... And we're co-investing there with Meat and Livestock Australia and we're having a look at whether trail feeding or using self-feeders is better for lamb survival if you do have to supplement at lambing. And I think um, we could safely say that a lot of people across the Mallee are sub-feeding at lambing. Hopefully those results will be quite interesting. There's been as many for as against both options that we've heard so far this week. So it will be really interesting. Everyone's sort of got different ideas on how they like to do things. So uh, I guess it'll be interesting to have a look at the outcomes of that. And also, if you've been chat about the Flystrike extension program as yeah. well, and of course, Flystrike, the rain we've had in the eastern states the last couple of years, it's obviously been some pretty tough fly years, and I know the growers who have been attending have been saying that pre-Christmas this year was pretty tough, and we've been hearing that a lot. So, got a number of things in the Flystrike extension program, some looking at management and tweaking management calendar for better outcomes, or knowing when your high risk times are and being able to better manage your labor around that but also in being able to breed a more flystrike resistant sheep so looking at a multifaceted approach to really trying to alleviate the pressure of flystrike on farm well would just say one of your curly questions has been Emily in <laughs> Ronald or Murrayville mm. today mm. Yeah, good question. A grower did ask me if to solve the shearing issue, we'd started promoting (laughs) DARPAs. It's come up a couple of times now, the issues with sending mail out of the Mallee and some questions around if we wanted to get resistance testing done on maggots to understand our flystrike chemical resistance, or even some people with concerns about how they might get fodder samples to a feed testing lab in a timely fashion if they're going to send a green sample and how best to do that and how best to access those labs if they do have significant delays in express post some of those regional logistics issues that are popping up for
0: a lot of people fantastic thank you both thank you awi for bringing us hamish and telling us about the awi program and all the best for the final event tomorrow at peak Thank you. Looking
2: forward to it. I haven't done a workshop in peak before. First time for everything. So I'm very much looking forward to it. Thank you, Hamish.
1: Thanks very much. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks for joining us. If you want to hear more, like and subscribe to the MSF Farm Talk podcast. Catch you later.